Well, good morning. I don't know if it's God's providence or coincidence, but every time the youth minister preaches, we have bad weather. I'm going to hope it's the latter, uh, but I'm glad to be here with you and excited to share the Word of God this morning. We're going to read our scripture, this is Luke 2, verses 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out of the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom your favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. We're in a series called The Songs of Christmas, and if you've been with us, we've taken just a moment to briefly reflect on some of the songs that we sing each year. And the song that that I've chosen to talk on this morning is the song, What Child Is This? And in the title of the song, there's that question, What Child Is This? And this passage has been preached on quite a bit. It's, It's a very common Christmas passage. And one of the things I want to point out with this passage is you notice that when God comes and speaks to the shepherds, right, he speaks to the shepherds through the angels, which is this glorious, majestic way of communicating a message. And then verse 17, I'm going to skip ahead. It says, when they had seen him, they had spread the word concerning what has been told about this child. And the reality is this. The way most of us hear the message of Christmas is through a shepherd. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at who we must listen to, what we must listen for, and lastly, how we listen in. Listening is a tricky thing because when we are not listening, we don't often realize it. There's been a few times, maybe a lot of times, where my wife has shared important news or an important event And later in the week, she'll come to me and say, hey, remember, we have this on Friday. And I will say, oh, you never told me that. I probably heard it from her three or four times, but I wasn't listening, right? They may say one thing that goes in one ear and out the other. But the thing about listening is we often don't know when we are not listening. And the question I would ask you this morning, is God speaking to you and maybe you are not listening? You see, the shepherd got a vision. They got this glorious spectacle. The angels appeared. They were afraid, which means that whatever they saw was something so outside of their normal experience that it made them terrified. But for everyone else who got the news, they got a shepherd. And if you know anything about shepherds, they were on the lower end of the social ladder. Um, It's likely that their testimony wouldn't have been heard in a court of law because they were considered people who lacked integrity. They were just common people in society. And here's what we have. God gives this glorious message through angels, and yet the rest of the world hears it through the shepherds. 
We see this in the Bible all the time. In the Old Testament, you have an example of God speaking through a burning bush. Right? I can't even imagine what that looked like. Or another example where God reveals himself through a flame on a mountain. Then you have an example like Elijah in 1 Kings, where there was an earthquake, there was a great wind, there was a fire, but God was not speaking in those big and crazy ways. What does the text say? It says, God spoke through a gentle whisper. Or the example of the disciples who are with Jesus, who get to spend 40 days after he's resurrected. They get to experience and touch his side and see the nail print in his hand and got to be face to face with Jesus. When Jesus returned to heaven, all we had was the testimony and witness of the disciples. God gives big visions. God does speak in big and majestic ways, but most of us get a shepherd. What does that mean? I think in the beginning, the way most of us hear the message of Jesus is either through a friend or through a a family member or maybe a preacher, and we get the message of God. But here's, here's one of the things that we have to consider is usually that when we get the message, there is flaw in the messenger. The vessel by which God uses to communicate great truth often is an imperfect vessel. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of a man named Balaam who was unable to hear the voice of God. And so God used a donkey, his own donkey, to speak and communicate an important reality. And friends, if God can use a talking donkey to communicate to us, I think he can communicate the message through a flawed messenger. And I would say this, in the same way that God uses flawed messengers to share the good news, we want God to speak through our successes in life, but so often God speaks through our failures. Most of us know what a counselor or a therapist often say, that most of the problems we have are the problems we can't see. It's the problems in which we are in denial over are the ones that ultimately get us. And while we may have struggle with sin in our lives, whether it's anger, whether it's pride, whether it's control, whether it's an addiction or a vice or overworking and neglecting our family or deceit or whatever it is that we struggle with, beneath the symptom, beneath the sin, is this fighting and this battle with God. And there's a question that we have to ask, and we're going to return to this question until we answer it at the very end. And that question is this, what child is this? You see, God has sent someone as a child into this world. And this child was sent to bring peace to this fighting, this fighting between us and God. This child was sent to bring us that peace. When we think about peace, we often think about, well, we want our lives to go well. We want to be happy, we want to be healthy, we want to be wealthy, we want things to go our way, but the peace that Christ brings is different. See, it's a peace between us and God, received by grace, not solved by trying to be good, but solved by putting our trust and faith in the Savior. I don't know about you, but the holiday seasons tend to bring out more worry and anxiety. Uh, I know, I don't know if it's because of all the shopping or the decorating or the scheduling families, but oftentimes it can amplify our emotions, whether they're good or bad emotions, that can often be the case. 
And I know often one of those one of those things that we struggle with is anxiety and worry. And I think beneath our worry, underneath it, is that we are fighting God for the driver's seat of our life. We want to control every single aspect of our life, whether that's our family, our spouse, our kids, our future. We want things to go the way we want them to go. And worry stems from our failure to trust in God. And if we believe that God owes us a peaceful life, then essentially what we're saying is that we don't need a savior, that we can do this on our own. And our anxiety, our worry, our anger stems from our need to control. I got permission from my wife to share this story. It's a bit personal, but I think it helps relate to this issue. About three years ago, um, leading up to that December, my wife and I had struggled uh, to get pregnant. We dealt with infertility for a little over a year. Uh, we went to the doctors and couldn't really figure out what was going on. And uh, if, you've, if you know someone who's been through infertility or you yourselves have dealt with that, it's a, it's a hard thing, especially when you, God has laid it on your heart and you want to have kids. It, it can be really demoralizing when you have a hard time having kids. I'll never forget when we found out that we were pregnant with our second child, Henry. But before that, there was another child, and when we found out in December 2016, right before Christmas, that my wife had a miscarriage, it was really difficult. For years, we had prayed that God would give us a kid, and when we finally were pregnant, to receive that news and for my wife to go through a really painful procedure, it was really hard on her. I can't even begin to understand the pain that she experienced, but during that Christmas, it wasn't an easy one. And sometimes in the holidays, we, we go into them hoping for a time to be with family and to celebrate, but sometimes they can be difficult and they can be painful. And I think that pain in particular is a difficult one. The pain of loss, whether you lose a loved one, a child, whether it's through miscarriage or in another tragic way, in the moment, all you know is that pain. And oftentimes in those moments, people try, and they're well-meaning, but they say things like, well, everything happens for a reason. There's going to be a greater plan in the midst of this. But in the moment, sometimes that's hard to hear because all you can see in front of you is the grief. It's kind of like the story of a man who walked into a room where there was this giant rock of marble. You may recognize the man's name. His name is Michelangelo. And he spent days and days sculpting and carving away at this formless rock in the middle of this room. And after the days, all of a sudden, this, what was once a formless and ugly rock became this beautiful angel. It's one of his most famous sculptures. And there, people were so amazed by it. Somebody asked Michelangelo, what, 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 how did you do this? How did you take something that was ugly and formless and create something so incredible? And he said this, He said, I saw the angel in the marble and I sculpted and carved until I set her free. I think oftentimes it's difficult for us when we're in the midst of pain or grief because we cannot see the angel. All we see in front of us is the pain and the suffering. And we have a God who even in the midst of our pain and suffering sometimes chooses not to take away the pain in the moment. But he does promise that his presence will be with us 
to comfort us in the midst of it. Friends, sometimes we cannot see where God is going, but we can always trust his heart. My, my wife and I remember this moment this last summer. My son Pierce comes home from VBS, and he has this little phrase that he learns, a little catchphrase, and he's like, hey, mom, dad, I want to tell you this phrase, and he begins to say it out loud. He says, when life's not fair, God is good. When life's not fair, God is good. I thought that was profound. It's been sort of a family phrase that we've been saying over this last year. And as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm learning new things about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this world. And one of those things is this, and I've come to believe this through going through some difficult seasons. It's this, that God does not waste the tears of his people. He hears us when we cry, he hears us in our pain. And not a single tear is wasted. And I remember praying during this difficult time for peace and praying that God would help us to get pregnant after that. And I remember there was a moment my wife and I both kind of came to this place of realization that these things were not in our control. And all we could do is submit and trust in God. The pain of that loss has healed over the years. And now every time I see my son Henry, I'm reminded again and again that God has a better plan for my future. If you ever see Henry running around and smiling in the hallway, that kid and is a constant blessing in our life. But I'll admit in that moment, it was difficult to relinquish that control. When C.S. Lewis lost his wife, Suddenly, he wrote this book called A Grief Observed, and there's a quote in this book that um, has always moved me. He said this, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. And in this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards, and his only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. Friends, over and over again, another thing I've learned about being a follower of Jesus is that there are moments where one of the most merciful things that God has ever done in my life was teach me to understand that all the control that I think I have is simply an illusion. And sometimes, we need to be stripped of our illusion of control so that God can remind us what it means to be fully dependent on him. So we listen. We listen to our successes. We listen, though, even in the midst of our failures and in the midst of our pain, because sometimes that's when God's voice is heard most clearly. And lastly, how do we listen in? What's so fascinating about this, this passage and this message is that the message is not um, that if you try harder, you will receive this peace, right? But that this specific peace is available to you and to me through Jesus. And there were two groups of people who heard this message in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. Verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things 
and pondered them in her heart. So you have two different responses, right? The crowd heard the news and they were amazed. It's like they went to a Christmas service and it was so beautiful. The wreaths, the, the music, everything about the, the service was so great. But then they went home and nothing had changed. And then you have Mary. And I think Luke contrasts the two intentionally. And Mary, what does she do? She treasures and pondered what was said. I looked up the words treasure and ponder, and what it means is for her to treasure means that she memorized what was said. It also means to value and to cherish. So she treasured the things, went back and forth with it in her mind and in her heart. And then the word ponder. That's a word that means to consider something, to converse with someone and to consider it over an extended period of time. So it's likely that Mary treasured and pondered and considered this truth for over like her entire life. This was something that was not just a one-time moment, but she considered it over time. And here's the deal. When we talk about how we listen, I believe God speaks to us primarily through his word. But we need to give ourselves to the Bible both objectively and subjectively. And here's what I mean by that. We need to give ourselves to the word objectively by believing it to be true. You see, think about this. When Mary was in her 40s, this is when Christ died on the cross. She was probably in her late 40s. She was not of old age. She was probably clear of mind. She saw what had happened and knew that this was happening. Then later, Paul and Luke are running around the Mediterranean preaching this story. And there's no way that Luke could have made this account up because Mary would have been in her 50s. She would have been well of mind. She would have seen what was happening and have been able to correct it. This is when the church was built. So we can trust these stories to be true objectively. But that's not enough. You see, you can know the scriptures and you can even believe them to be true. But that doesn't mean you've allowed them to transform you. You can never experience the power of God, even if you believe them to be true. You see, we need to do what Mary did. We need to trust it subjectively, to treasure it, to ponder it, to consider it. And we don't just ask the text what it means, but we allow the text to ask us questions. Do you realize how much your life is distorted because you do not treasure this? And we come to the place where we recognize that Christ is our treasure, it changes us. If you treasure the word of the Lord, you will see by faith the Lord of the word. So we treasure and ponder. In closing, let's revisit the question. What child is this? The answer is the baby born in the manger is the Lord. You see, the New Testament writers knew what they were doing when they chose the word Lord. It's using the Greek word kurios. And the reason this is significant is because a century or two before Jesus came around, there was enough Jews who spoke Greek that they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. It's known as the Septuagint. And when you do translation, sometimes you run into a problem because you have a word that doesn't quite line up with any words that you have in your language. And so the translators had to make a choice. And this choice is important. You see, every place where Yahweh was used in the Hebrew scriptures, the covenant name of God, every time it shows up in the Hebrew scriptures, when they put it into Greek, they translated it to Kyrios, which means Lord. And what this means 
is that the baby born in a manger is not just a savior, a prophet, a sage, but this baby is God himself. And if God would come to the earth to do this, we can put our trust in him. The message of Christmas is this. At the heart of ultimate reality is a person, a relational God who desires a relationship with his people. This person is a king, born in mean estate, not in a palace, but in a manger, surrounded by animals and chaos. God came to us, his very presence. So I ask one last time, what child is this? Friends, this is the child of the one true king. He is our Lord. Let's put our faith and hope in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our king. And as we reflect this Christmas season, I pray that we would continually do what Mary did, that we would treasure and ponder all that you have done for us. That we would reflect on a regular basis that it would become of our, a part of our Christmas reflection. And Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who's dealing with difficulty, who is struggling, who's dealing with pain or grief, would your presence minister to them? Bring them comfort and peace. We pray for those who have wandered, who are far from you. May your gentle whisper bring them back, call them back into relationship with you, knowing that they are forgiven, that there is hope, and that this Jesus can bring peace to their fighting. Lord, we put all of our hope in you. We take a moment to bless our offering, our gifts. May our gifts be a sign of our trusting you, knowing that we want to control things, but we know that it's when we put our trust in you and we are close and that you are with us. To bless our offering, bless our gifts. In Jesus' name, it's for your beautiful name. Amen.